0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: We see the aquaculture um, industry worldwide uh, really increasing at a rapid rate Um, and with that comes a great opportunity for soy.
0: Hey, Tanner Winterhoff here with Delaney Howell on another Ag News Daily podcast edition. How's Delaney doing today?
2: I'm pretty good, Tanner. How are you?
0: I'm great. What's the countdown down to now? Is that how you say that? Countdown down,
2: down Count to down the wedding day. To the wedding day is twenty. Wait, let me think about this. I should know this, right?
0: Oh man, I was. I 16, thought you just rattle it right off. Sixteen
2: days, Tanner.
0: <laughs> there you go. Good. Are you getting nervous? Are you afraid he's not going to show up?
2: Well, we're getting married in Colorado, so he has to show up because we're driving out together, so I'm not really
0: nervous. (laughs) Oh, that was great strategy. Let's put him in the same vehicle as me, so I make sure he gets every place he needs to go.
2: The only time he could run away is between the morning of our wedding and our wedding ceremony, which I suppose is possible, (laughs) but I feel pretty confidently.
0: Um, That is great. Well, you know what is running away? inflation still. So prices for inflation again hit a 40-year high as gas, food, rent, and other costs continue to surge, which we know leads to probably another Fed rate hike as they put this together. So inflation jumped again in June, continuing its persistent climb in gas, food, and rent costs notching another 40-year high. Prices increased 9.1%. Up from 86 in the prior month and up from the 8.8% that was pegged in an estimate by Bloomberg and other fellow economists. So on a monthly basis, consumer prices jumped another 1.3% as discussed compared to a 1% increase in May. So not only is inflation here, Lainey, but it is surging faster than previous months. However, good news, fuel prices are down as of the date of this article compared to a month prior when reporting, uh, but are still signaling a 60% increase year over year from where fuel prices were this time last year.
2: Yeah, you're right. We are probably going to have a lot of the same news stories today because I also had this piece as well. And the other thing to keep in mind here, Tanner, not such great news, but it's largely expected by folks on Wall Street and analysts that the Federal Reserve will likely cement the case for another 75 basis point interest rate hike.
0: Yeah, I uh, have seen that in almost every outlet on the financial side as the more than likely a case for their next result out of the coming meeting.
2: Well, Tanner, yesterday, of course, we had the Wazdy World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report that came out at 11 a.m. Central Time, and I'm sure most of our listeners have seen the news of what came out of that report, but let's do a quick recap here. For the corn ending stocks, USDA pegged The corn ending stocks at 1.47 billion bushels, which was up higher than the June estimate, as well as the trade estimate. Soybean ending stocks were at 230 million bushels versus the 280 million bushel number that was quoted in June. So slightly bullish report there for soybeans. We did see the USDA increase corn production slightly, notably due to higher Slightly higher corn acres, and they also increased the Russian wheat production to eighty one and a half million metric tons, while leaving exports unchanged. However, they also decreased Ukraine's wheat production, though which uh, I don't think comes as any huge surprise, but they did not uh, change any numbers as far as yield went on the corn or soybean side of the thing balance sheet. And so now from here, We continue to watch weather, Tanner.
0: Yeah, we do. I thought it was interesting that uh, USDA did not change the production for Brazil and Argentina. uh, And globally, it bumped up the beginning stocks uh, just a little bit and production just a little bit on the corn side. So uh, certainly not a great report for those looking to be bullish corn. Uh, But... What could be bullish is those of you invested in equipment manufacturing. So combine sales are up year over year, according to Dan Miller of DTN, Progressive Farmer senior editor. He said sales of tractors in the United States were down for the month of June, but combines were up. So according to the latest market analysis from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, sales of combines were up nearly 127 units or uh, just over 10%, if I believe. Tractors overall fell by 8.2% with the biggest category of decline being in that 40 horsepower tractor area. Large tractors, four wheel drives uh, were a little bit down but that middle range, what they consider their 100 horsepower and above. Tractors were the only sector of tractor sales that had climbed in the United States, but Delaney Canadian numbers pretty much mirror what the U.S. is doing. Combine sales rose again. They were up 35.1% uh, compared to what the U.S. was at. So a lot of Canadian harvesters getting new combines or at least ordering them, uh, while us here in the U.S. again are looking at improving our combine fleets.
2: Alexander, one thing that's down this month that also might help producers is fertilizer trends. Most average retail fertilizer prices continued to be less expensive for the first and second week of July, according to DTN. All but one of eight major fertilizers were lower compared to last month, with only one fertilizer down substantially, urea down 11% compared to last month. But all in all, uh, it might be safe to say, Tanner, that this fertilizer trend is heading lower.
0: Yeah, and that urea, it seems like every time we do report on fertilizer prices, that it is consistently leading in the price reduction category. So might be an alternative for those that don't use that product uh, to take advantage of some price decay. A uh, quick little hit here on a new energy plant in Niles, Michigan, finally up and operating at 100% capacity. So more than two decades ago, this plant had started and a 34-month construction phase was finally completed on a $1.1 billion uh, energy producing plant. It is now at full capacity as of July 1st. First half of the year was spent running tests obviously, but now at its peak, uh, it will continue to take a load off of this much strained power network. The plant is capable of producing 1,085 megawatts of electricity enough for 650 homes and businesses sits on 10 acres of a 370-acre site just north of the Jerry Tyler Memorial Airport. So there is room for expansion, and they're looking at adding solar power. Right now, this is a natural gas-fired plant. So interesting to see how long it takes a power plant as such. Delaney to go from conception all the way to completion.
2: Well, Tanner, speaking of one thing going to completion, Indonesia is going to start exporting chicken, of all things, to Singapore this week, which comes after a very long ban on exports from their key supplier of Malaysia. Malaysian chicken was banned or halted exports early last month after global feed shortages disrupted local Malaysian production and prices And Singapore quickly scrambled to find a new export vendor and has turned their attention to Indonesia, which they're expecting it to be a very large industry for Indonesia. The first export is set to leave on July 15th and valued at 2 billion Indonesian rupiah, which is about $133,000, which may not seem like a lot offhand, but for uh, the Indonesian producer, it certainly is. They're expecting to produce about 55 to 60 million birds per week, and they're going to see an increase of domestic production of about 15 to 20 percent higher due to this new arrangement with Singapore.
0: Interesting. That's uh, not a headline that I had seen, um, but good for those countries to see if they can get a mutual benefit a mutually beneficial relationship put together. Well, the last piece that I have today comes out of Minnesota. A Minnesota grand jury indicted a Cottonwood County farmer, Mr. James Clayton Wolf, on conspiracy to falsify, falsely sell nearly $46 million in non-GMO corn and soybeans as organic crops. That's a big no-no, Delaney, according to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Minnesota. The indictment alleges that Wolf sold grain without his grain buyer's license correctly in place, purchased non-organic corn and soybeans from other grain sellers, and resold them as organic from 2014 to 2020. And all in all, Wolf is charged with three counts of wire fraud and is scheduled for his initial court appearance starting next week on July 22nd. The indictment also said that Wolf grew conventionally farmed crops using chemicals, fertilizers, pesticides, which he would be in violation of organic farming standards. So for years, Wolf provided grain purchasers copies of National Organics Program certification paperwork. And according to the indictment, he withheld information that the grains were not organically farmed, which results in this nearly 46 million in payments that is now under investigation. So a lesson to be learned there, Delaney. Uh, Just because a kernel of corn may look like a kernel of corn, make sure that you check the paperwork and the trail behind it.
2: That's certainly an interesting problem you don't hear about all the time.
0: Absolutely. That's the last piece I've got. What do you see in the markets for how they reacted to yesterday's report?
2: Well, surprisingly, markets are trading back higher again this morning after yesterday's sell-off. Although, like I mentioned, you know, soybeans really did have a fairly favorable report. However, even with the increased, slightly increased acreage and production numbers, corn seemed to shake off yesterday's slightly bearish report New crop corn's up about 17 cents this morning, trading at 6.03, 6.04. New crop soybeans are up about 14 cents, trading right around the 13.56, 57 mark. And wheat is significantly higher this morning, even given uh, the increased production we see coming out of Russia. But with the decreased production coming out of Ukraine, that certainly has the wheat bulls excited this morning. New crop wheat trading about 23 cents higher. And taking a look over at the livestock markets today, they are also seen red across the screen in live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs. Tanner, so everything's green on the screen today.
0: Hey, that's a good Wednesday. And now it's exciting to jump into a conversation that you and Cassidy had. I'm looking forward to see how that turned out.
2: Absolutely, Tanner. We're gonna kick our conversation over here to talk about the American Soybean Association's WISH program. Well, folks, as we continue to talk about lots of issues impacting the agricultural industry, obviously food sources and food stuffs is something we talk a lot about, but we don't always talk about emerging markets. And we're going to do that today with Gina Perry, the executive director of the WISH program, which is put on by the American Soybean Association that looks at Human Health Initiatives. It stands for World Initiative for Soy and Human Health. Gina, that's a little bit of a mouthful, but I'm excited to talk to you about WISH and about some of these new emerging markets for soy protein.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Shalini, for having me.
2: So, Gina, for those of our listeners that may not be familiar with WISH, I'm guessing most of them, if not all of them, know what the American Soybean Association is. But how has WISH started and how is it uh, interconnected to ASA.
1: Great. So WISH was founded in the year 2000 um, to be a program of the American Soybean Association. It was started by five uh, soy-producing states that saw the value in investing in developing emerging markets to create long-term trade opportunities. So WISH is the long-term trade de- and development arm of U.S. soy. Um, We only work in developing and emerging markets um, and we work to create uh, stronger market systems and agricultural value chains while creating long term uh, trade for U.S. soy. We work um, in the feed sector. So with livestock. Uh, mainly poultry and swine, and then also with aquaculture, and then the human food sector. Um, one of our main goals is to provide affordable and accessible protein and to close the protein gap. So the protein gap is uh, where there's more demand for protein than can be locally produced. Um, and so that's where fish, eggs, poultry, um, chicken, and you know things like textured soy protein can step in to help fill that protein demand.
2: Now, Gina, I think that protein gap is something that we're all pretty hyper aware of with the Russia Ukraine situation right now. How can WISH and the ASA help combat the food insecurity that we all predict is coming from this conflict?
1: Right. So WISH is really unique in the fact that we work in the traditional development and capacity building of markets as well as market development and trade. So with many of our strategic partners that we work with on the ground, you know, their food companies, their um, poultry producers, aquaculture producers, so we can will continue to provide technical assistance um, to them whether it's about improved and high quality soy based feed, or connecting them with um, researchers in the U.S. on new techniques and technologies, or even um, with, uh, you know, food scientists that can create better um, uh, ratios for including soy flour into baking. Um, so as we can continue to see food insecurity be um, threatened um, all around the world, um, WISH and U.S. soy is really stepping in to make sure that you know, customers know that they have a, a reliable um, and sustainable uh crop that they can buy um and a and a complete protein as well.
2: And Gina, as we talk about food insecurity, obviously there's also the larger issue at play here, which is how we feed the growing population. And I think it's interesting, you know, we focus a lot on animal protein in the sense of uh, cattle, hogs, chickens, etc. But fish and aquaculture is also a really large growing industry to feed people, but also uses a lot of soy in the feed that's used for aquaculture. When you look out here the next 20, 30 years, what does the picture look like from an aquaculture perspective and what kind of demand is potentially there for soy?
1: Right. So aquaculture production is increasing dramatically all around the world. Um, you know, fish is culturally and a culturally acceptable uh, protein source in many parts of the world, including many of the countries that WISH works in. Um, so it's already being consumed. It's something that is familiar uh, to the population. They know how to cook it. They know how to um, make many different dishes with it. Um, and we're seeing some innovative ways to uh, take fish and make it so that it's more palatable to children, for example. Um, so, you know, that demand already exists. Um, what we are seeing is the increase in aquaculture production. So wild caught uh, fish is, uh, you know, being threatened by overfishing. Um, and, you know, a country may even have uh, other countries fishing off of their shore, taking away from their, you know, domestic uh, production. And so when we're looking out, you know, it's, we see the aquaculture um, industry worldwide uh, really cre- increasing at a rapid rate. Um, and with that comes a great opportunity for soy. Um, soy-based feeds uh, help with feed conversion ratio. They are high in protein, Um, and so that's, that's something that, you know, wish is investing heavily in, um, we're doing that in Southeast Asia, as well as East and West Africa. Um, both of those places, fish is already consumed, um, but we're working with, uh, feed mills, um, on how to formulate higher quality feed. So making sure that they have the proper equipment, that their, uh, workers are trained to maintain that equipment, uh, that they have nutritionists on staff that can formulate the high quality feed and knowing how to feed to different um, levels uh, or growth stages of the fish is also very important. And we're also working on the demand side. So, you know, making sure that the production practices are there um, that, you know the population knows that they can um, buy fish Um, and then working with producers to, show them improved technology. Um, We've worked with Pond Raceway Systems in Cambodia, for example, that's one technology that we've helped implement um, in a developing and emerging market. Um, And with that uh, comes along with high quality feed. So making sure that these producers, aquaculture producers are feeding high quality feed, soy-based feed, um, and even better yet, pelletized feed, floating feed, um, that will stay on the surface and not sink to the bottom. It's easier to tell if the fish are eating um, and when they're full um, and have, you know, that real, really really uh, protein rich uh, feed source as well.
2: Absolutely, Gina. I think that's some really incredible technology y'all are implementing to help make fish a better and more widely available protein. What are some of the challenges y'all are seeing with These goals you have in mind for aquaculture and how are y'all going to combat those challenges?
1: Right. So, you know, uh, with a lot of, um, you know, farmers and, and people that work in agriculture, uh, it can be, uh, very risky to take on new technology. Um, you know, we see that, uh, throughout the, the history of U.S. agriculture even. Um, so we really focus on those innovative producers. Um, and innovative companies that are wanting to see to the future and see um, what they need to invest in to to meet demand and, and grow their businesses um, and really those influencers uh, in a community. Because once they you know sign on to a new technology or even uh, feeding improved uh, soy based feed, then their um, their colleagues, their community starts seeing the benefits of that. Um, So it's really just trying to identify those change makers um, in the areas that we work in um, and then making sure they're trained and making sure that we're continuing to follow up um, to meet the the growing needs uh, for technical assistance in that area. Um, You know, another uh, challenge is, um, you know, regulations and, and policy. And this is where we work with the U.S. Soybean Export Council on market access um, in many of the countries that we work in, you know, it's really a grassroots effort to um, have those policy uh, changes coming from the, the people in those countries. Alongside that, um, we work with associations. So WISH is a part of a hundred year old association. So it's in our DNA uh, to really work and help build capacity for local associations. So in Cambodia, for example, um, through our CAST project, which is a USDA food for progress project, um, they've helped uh, get the Cambodia and Aquaculturist Association up and running. Um, and this is where you, know, you have actors from all across the, the aquaculture value chain in Cambodia coming together, realizing that they um, have a voice and then they need to have a voice to make sure that the government knows um, what they need to be successful. Um, and so we've been working with associations in, in Ghana, for example, both in poultry and aquaculture. Um, and so we see that as a really strong uh, tool to help develop local markets um, while also increasing demand for U.S. soy. Um, and we have, you know, uh, many grower leaders in our back pocket that know the value of associations that can speak um, to these, these associations around the world to share you know, how, what they do impacts, um, you know, both policy um, and other, other things that maybe we can't influence, you know, from the U.S. or, or that we are, uh, sh- we shouldn't influence um, as much. Um, and then, you know, we have a lot of other uh, uh, challenges, including, you know, access to electricity, um, access to finance, um, you know, in some places around the world in West Africa, for example, finance Uh, Interest rates can be 24 to 40%. Um, In Cambodia, for example, they're only uh, 11 to 13%, which I say only um, as it's relative to other places in the world where it's much higher. Um, So we're continuing to work um, with local partners and uh, others to find solutions to this. You know, how do we help bridge that gap? Um, You know, solar panels are an example of this too. You know, how can solar panels um, help? combat uh electricity issues uh for you know technologies like impound raceways so you know we work closely with our strategic partners um, both government private sector and public and all the markets that we work in to really come together to help find you know local locally driven solutions for these challenges
2: well Gina, we certainly appreciate your time today i feel like i've learned a lot and i hope our listeners have too thanks again for joining us
1: great thank you so much for having me
2: It's interesting, Tanner, to talk about all of these new potential trends coming for the protein industry, but more specifically the soy industry, because, you know, as we look at how we feed this growing population, we have to consider that we just can't possibly do it with just mainstream agriculture and things like aquaculture are certainly going to have their space and also support U.S. soy.
0: Yeah, it's too bad that I missed that conversation, but again, it's nice to know that there is focus on protein, especially those as crops grown, for our producers and our listeners.
2: Absolutely, Tanner, but we're going to kick things off with a weather-related discussion tomorrow with Eric Snodgrass, so folks do stay tuned for that. Are we going to get hot and dry here in July? We're going to find out that and more. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let the people go.